welcome to the latest edition of the Positive Populist Podcast. Guess who our guest is today? It's so exciting. A lot of alliteration there. I know, but it's very positive populist podcast. So look who it is. You could tell it's Raymond Arroyo. You see him on air with Laura Ingram. And, and today is in the you can hear him. Hear him and uh, hear his brilliance. Oh, please. Don't oversell. This I'm is going to drive the audience away. <laughs> exactly right. I'm going to start with the question I ask all okay. my guests. Are you, Raymond Arroyo, a positive populist? I am, I am a positive populist in the sense that, one, I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to qualify this a little bit. Since I was in college, I was a huge fan of Alexander Hamilton long oh, wow. before the the musical then the you know which I'm I'm not a huge fan of I like some of the songs but mm -hmm. the history's a little cloudy mm -hmm. um and the thing I love about Hamilton is he was a bit distrustful of the mob mentality right. right um and they built safeguards into the constitution and our whole republic uh to ensure that whereas you need to have the freedom for the people to allow their will to be expressed you didn't want it running amok, so to speak. Yeah, there had good. to be guardrails. So, yes, I, and I'm very positive. Well, see, this, I said you're, this is why the brilliance is already apparent oh, to everyone. Please. Because normally, you see, I ask that question. But yes, I'm a positive. And then I say, okay, well, tell me, what does that mean to you? Yeah. How do you and you've already gone way. Well, you've, you've already sort of given your own interpretation. But I'd love you to sort of tell us, I mean, Alexander, so how old were you when you were into Alexander? Oh, I don't know, 19, 19 or 20. I have all of his, I'm probably the only person who has... All of the collected Columbia University put out every document, every legal document, every right. letter. Hamilton, it's like a 40 volume set. And I bought them. I like I worked at, at then, NYU I and I would buy them then. Wow. So I kept the collection. I still have it. God, how interesting. Um, he but the thing I loved about Hamilton is he saw obviously he was willing to lay down his life for this revolution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're the next revolution mm -hmm. man. Um but he was also forward-looking enough to realize if we lost the moral center, yeah. which all the founding fathers are unanimous in this, that the Constitution was founded for what they called, not me, what they called a moral people. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll let others figure out what that means. Yes. But to my mind, it means you have a certain agreement about what it is we hold dear and mm -hmm. the values and principles that are our own and worth protecting and dying for. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure today that there is that kind of unanimity of morality, spirit, mindset. Mm -hmm. That is what Hamilton worried about. Jay worried about it. Madison worried about it. And in the in the crafting of the Constitution, they built in safeguards. I like some of those safeguards. At the same time, for too long mm -hmm. in our recent political memory, the True voice of the people and their mm -hmm. desire has been squashed mm -hmm. by lousy leadership, people who ran on one thing and then governed a separate way. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, this populist uprising has the spirit of 1776 about it. And okay. I like that. So you know who you're reminding me of right now? No. I'm not sure you'll take this as a compliment. Who knows? We'll oh, find thanks. out. Uh, someone I saw speak uh, recently at the Iowa State Fair, one of the presidential candidates. Beto O'Rourke. Oh, no, thank you. I, I would never do Beto, that to you. His teeth are much better never, and hair a lot better than mine. I would never mine. do that to you. Actually, Marianne Williamson, 
because she, you know, I, I knew. Okay, he didn't take it as a compliment. Um, he, but I tell you why, because she talked about a couple of things that struck a chord there. Mm-hmm. She, she was talking about the spiritual sense yes. of what America is yes. all about, which was, I, you know, well, I think is very interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe a different sense of it, but, but not just policy and what I'm going to do on healthcare yes. and whatever. She said something a bit deeper. Yes. And she also made that comparison uh, to 1776 and what that was all about and how this idea needs to be renewed and fought for. And I don't know, there's something about the way you well, were talking that... we both have, I think we both, both, I'll tell you where I think there is convergence. Marion Williamson does have a um, cultural take on politics, mm-hmm. which is where I live. That's right. Culture is far more important than politics. Culture governs politics. It's way upstream. Politics is the la- it's the bottom feeder of the culture. Right. It's at the very bottom. It's the last thing that's affected. Yes. Um, so she's right in that sense. Where I would disagree with her is the 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 foundational ethics, principles, and and values, morality that the founding fathers were fighting for was very well defined. At times, very rigidly mm-hmm. defined in their era. Mm-hmm. Marianne is off on some tangent. You can you can go to some you know a, a, a kibbutz, or you can go to a yogi, or you can go to the woods, or commune with the tree in your backyard. It's all the same in her mind. I disagree with that. Okay. I don't That's think. I think there is a. I think there is a hierarchy and a, te- a, a historically verifiable trajectory of what comes from a certain vision mm-hmm. and what. Co- Yes, it's, more, it's, it's intellectually rooted in a way that I think that you... Yeah. you but I, look, I don't want to talk about her. Christianity, I, do think- I, I mean, look, Jude- the, the Judeo-Christian vision for humanity gave birth to what we, what we live in today in many ways, and it's, and it's folly, and it's corruption. Yes. Okay, listen. Okay, I, I think we can agree. You know, she's certainly interested. I'm more interesting. No, than she's the other fascinating. I, I think I like she's hilarious. But so. I want to. I want to go back to Raymond, age okay. nineteen, with all that Hamilton oh, okay. um, interest. And I was just curious when you when you said that was that um, was that a moment when you started? Or even before that, had you been interested in political ideas and and all that? And where where did it all come oh. from? Where was your interest sparked? I'll tell I'll tell you how that interest was sparked. My background is really in the theater, mm-hmm. and and when I went to NYU at mm-hmm. this time, mm-hmm. that's I was studying. That's quite that. young to be going there, isn't it? No, yeah. eighteen. I graduated and went I at nineteen. That's right. To yeah, college. no, fair enough. I was just thinking, yeah, because I took a year. Oh, that, okay, go on. Yeah, so sure. NYU. I'm at NYU. Yeah, uh, studying with a, a, a Stella Adler, who was sort of the last of the theatrical giants. Uh, she was the woman who trained Marlon Brando. And so, wait, you went to study? What were you studying? I was studying theater. I was oh, an actor, right? Studying theater, uh-huh. and at the same time, I was majoring in political science as well as journalism. That's and now I use all of my, yeah, <laughs> all of that's my skills an, I deploy. That's such an interesting combination. <laughs> well, it, and but the the interest in Hamilton actually came from a theatrical uh-huh. understanding because I happened to come across a biography of him. And here's a guy. He has an affair. Mm-hmm. He was caused a celeb. They tried to take him down over this very public, embarrassing affair. Mm-hmm. He was Washington's aide de camp during the revolution. The first secretary of the of 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 uh, the economy uh, created the credit. That's what here. And so all of that I found fascinating. This conflicted character has the the duel with Aaron Burr over his honor being besmirched by this guy who was a friend of his at one time. Mm-hmm. All of this um, 
I, I, I just I was fascinated by his character and wanted to right. learn more. And as I dug in, there's some things in his political philosophy I deeply disagree yeah. with. But the fascination here was how do you get these fractious colonies to come together? What unites them? Here we're back to that question yeah. again. Yeah. And as we enter this next revolution, mm -hmm. this populist revolution mm -hmm. that you keep talking about, we need to figure out what unites us. Hamilton was very canny, and he stood back and said, well, they have different manners. They have very different lifestyles, these mm -hmm. people. They mm -hmm. don't even eat the same things. They don't dance the same way. What unites them? Debt. They okay. all have debt. So we're going to consolidate the debt <laughs> in the federal government, and we'll hold all of them captive. That was his, that was his innovation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The federal bank, the national bank. Um I was, I, I, he, and he was a charismatic figure, by the way. The only reason we have the Constitution, the only reason the Constitution was, was approved was because of Hamilton's great oratory, uh -huh. convincing oratory, and theatricality. I mean, the man staged a parade outside the window that they thought was spontaneous, but he actually staged it That's during brilliant. the Constitutional Convention. Through the word, look, you can hear the voices <laughs> of liberty. Da, 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 da. Look at them. We have to respond. All of that, you know, that's I didn't know a showman. That. That's brilliant. He's a showman, he, but he also made a lot of political enemies. Yeah. He was hated and didn't know he wasn't he wasn't really at heart a politician, but a brilliant visionary and a man who was dead by 40. So let's so when when you're at NYU doing all this and you, you've got all this, you know, bubbling up, did you have a sense then that you wanted to pursue all three of those things, mm -hmm. the, the theater, the politics, the journalism or was yeah. one more, you know, how did you balance all that out? I, I, I see it all as a pursuit of truth. And Stella Adler, who was my mentor, uh -huh. she was 90 when I studied with wow. her. But she was sharp as a tack. She would brutalize her. You'd get up in front of her to do a scene. Yeah. And she would literally brutalize everything about the performance. Really? What, very direct. Person. Oh, you'd walk through the door and she'd go, stop, darling. <laughs> and I'd say, what, what, what happened? You don't believe you're in this apartment, do you? You enter like a phony actor. Go out. I don't believe you're a businessman. I don't believe it's the end of the day. I don't believe you're tired. I don't believe you were recently divorced. Go. Do it again. Wow. Every moment was scrutinized. But it was a kind of theatrical boot camp. If you could live through that, and I did, yeah. uh, there were only a handful of us who graduated at the end, as opposed to those who came in. Right. But it was a great training. But she always said, your job as an actor, and I consider this still my job today, mm -hmm. your job is to raise up humanity and remind it of itself. Mm -hmm. Show it the best it can be and the worst. That's what the theater should do. Yeah. It's a platform for humanity. And its function is very important because it reminds us of who we are yeah. on our best days and on our worst. So we're on guard against both. Sadly, so many of my friends, even in this town, in L.A., have forgotten that. They don't. It's all about it ratings and box office and yes, and that's yes, fine yes. you need that too but to lose a mission a sense of mission i think is a terrible thing um money is never enough that's not a mission and so what do you is that what you focus on first then the oh, yeah yeah oh i was i was an actor i i, I acted i directed I, I i worked in new york and london i toured uh -huh. um what kind of oh, everything i did i did shakespeare i did racine i did moliere i did musicals Racine and Molière. Okay, so this is from right. So the other is Bajazet. Is that a, one of the plays? Who, who did that? Was that um, no, I remember I had to learn this in, when I was studying French. Yeah, now you're. And we were talking French about French. Not it my strong. Molière. 
not Molière. He was belated. Mm-mm. What was the other? Racine. It was Racine. Racine. That's right. Probably Racine. That's right. Because uh, we were talking about these old French plays. And on it was based far, on a Fado, Greek. The Fado farces. And it was based on Greek. And so I said, no, that was Greek. You know what? I don't know that it was Greek. All I remember yeah. is having to read it and read it. studying French. Yeah. Well, it's a... Again, all of that. So all that's oh, rattling. Well, wow, you did. A, so you were, you were, and you producing as well. I, well, I was directing. Produce, but okay. I, I tell you what happened after when you go on tour and you're doing the same thing month after month, week after week. That intellectually got really boring uh-huh, for me. Uh-huh. Um, I did. It wasn't a challenge. And the truth of the matter is, after three weeks, if you're a decent actor, you've squeezed all you're going to out of right. that role. There, there, no, there, no, nothing else to discover. Right. So then it becomes an act of. Revival and you know reanimating what was, yeah. um, and you want to keep it in the moment, but that's very difficult after all that time. I mean, but Marlon Brando hated theater; he never did theater again after after Streetcar Named Desire, where right. he made his name. Um, I see why. I get it. I mean, that's why these people are heroic. When you see somebody like you know a Yul Brenner or a Carol Channing taking doing five thousand performances of a role over decades, right? They, this is not a theatrical event. This deserves a medal right. because I mean, and to keep it fresh, yes, that takes real. That's that's someone who's either very, very just brain dead, or right. someone who is just so committed to their craft and their audience that they. So did you just stop? I stopped. Was, I stopped. When I, was that? I went. Oh, in the early two thousands, at some point, perhaps. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, and I went to work at the Associated Press. Oh, so now you switched to the journalism. I went to journalism. How interesting. Yeah. Well, I was always okay. writing throughout this whole yeah. time. I was doing theater reviews. I was doing that sort okay. of thing. And I segued into the AP, uh-huh. and I was doing everything I could get my hands on. Based in, in, the in New York. In New York. In okay. New York, at the AP, the, right in Rockefeller Center. So were you a reporter? Like a beat I was. Report? You well, were going out and covering I did, stories? I did stories. I did reviews. I did anything, anything they would let me do. And there were the kind of deans of Jack Capon and guys like, like who, that, who had covered World War II, Vietnam. Yeah. Who were the editors, and they would they would shred your copy. Right. They were they were just great wordsmiths, and they loved yes. the word. It's so, very important. I you know having someone who can really rigorously sort of tell you about good writing, I think, is just so important. Yeah, who, it's who's such a gift. To, I I had that my my yeah. first job at a university was actually it was t- totally political. It was at the um, Conservative Party huh. in the UK, and I remember this. Um, it literally made me cry. It, this mm. this brilliant man actually who who was the deputy director of the it's called the research department mm. and um it was seen as this kind of you know david cameron was there and george all these yeah. people that ended up you know we all sort of made progress in politics in the mm. uk my wife rachel was there and um i had just come out of oxford and i thought i was so clever and i knew all this stuff and and i was asked to write a pamphlet margaret thatcher was still prime minister the last year or so of her time as prime minister and I was one of her great achievements was the privatization program. Right. And I was the desk officer for trade and industry and energy. So it was in my, and they said, we want to do a pamphlet on privatization, like, you know, this incredible oh. British success story. So write this pamphlet. And they gave me a rough kind of page anyway. And I wrote this thing. And I was so proud of it. And I thought it was so clever and brilliant. And I'd studied economics and it was, <laughs> and I handed it in. And this guy, just a bit like Stella, I just absolutely ripped it. Ripped it. Just like, like, this is in- incomprehensible. What does this mean? No one's going to understand. This is full of jargon, you know, like on and on. And it was just one of the best things that ever happened to well, me. It was those, brilliant. Those experiences, if you yes. can, if you can kind of swallow the pain yes. and learn no, from I it, you grow in it. Still, I mean, you know, whatever. I didn't, oh God, 30 years ago. Right. Um, and, and you remember you know, it. I'm, it, made, it literally made me cry. And I just thought, oh God, but mm. it was brilliant. 
Yeah. No, you, you need, I, yeah. I do think yeah. you need those moments. And young people, they're, they're much more sensitive than we were. <laughs> Let's admit it. Um, and, and even young people I encounter, I try to do the same thing and mentor them and help them through those things because it's up to us to pass what little we've learned on to them. Yes. But um, the reception is interesting. It's not personal. You want to help them better what they're doing. And so I had great mentors at the AP. Then yeah. I went to work for Evans and Novak, Robert Novak oh, and, yes. and, and Raleigh Evans. Who they're the, the famous film reviews, weren't they? No, no, no. They were the deans of the Washington Press Corps. Bob so Novak. Who, and, who am I thinking of? The, you're, the, thinking the, of, of you're thinking of uh, Ebert and, and Siskel else. and it Ebert. Was a, it was a pair of. <laughs> yes, you, Siskel so you, and Ebert. No, no, my excuse is I didn't live here then, so I didn't know anything. You get the British dispensation. But. Bob Novak and Raleigh Evans were right. Chicago Sun-Times columnists. Right. Their column was devoured by Washington, made huge news. Uh-huh. And uh, I was the reporter for the column. So I would go oh, out at that time pre-internet and have to go to the morgue at the Washington Post or interview background sources, sometimes primary sources, uh-huh. bring that back for the column, and I'd help them write By the way, that the itself column. is such an interesting thing. I mean, people with these big... I've, I've met people, you know, a number of people now who have been the, you know, the researcher right. for the columns, the reporter, right. and it's really different to the... In, in the U, there's just no such thing, you know, when they're the columnists, and you get, they just sort of dash off their right. thing before going to the public. I, I slightly joke, but, you yeah. know. Yeah, I know. I know it's, it's, su- it's a serious business for these serious, you know, the really respected columnists. Well, there are columnists who are just opinion writers. Yeah. Evans and Novak were actually shoe leather reporters uh-huh. who would dig down into, and they had great sources in the government. Mm-hmm. Bob Novak taught me how to work over sources, how you, the, how you laid the groundwork you play them off against each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he was brilliant at that. And he was at the same time producing uh, and, and, and headlining Crossfire at CNN, as well as oh. Evans and Novak and a show called Capital Gang. He was doing three shows a week and the column at the same time. Wow. He's an amazing man. He was an amazing guy. He's, he's, he's deceased, but he turned into a great friend yeah. uh, and was one of my. So how long did you do that for? Oh, I don't know. A couple of years, a uh-huh. couple of years. And then I segued into, uh, I became a congressional correspondent out of that. When? And, uh, at CBN. Oh. Or the, the, Christian, the Christian Broadcasting Christian, okay. Network. And I was there, uh, congressional correspondent. And then from there, I went to EWTN, where I still have a show. Yeah. And, um, started that show, which is an international news magazine. I have directors, actors, uh, the heads of state, politicians, presidents, and we get into everything from politics to culture to faith and kind of cover that whole space. And we have long conversations. Right. I mean, I can do a half hour with a guest and right. we have the time to do it, um, yeah. which I love. No, that's exactly right. That's why this is such a pleasure to be able it to is. do this. Yeah. Um, what's, but, uh, you know, the, a lot of the people listening will be familiar with you through your work with Laura. Right. On, on Fox on Fox News Channel. Correct. So tell us about that, how that connection happened. Laura and I, I, I did a book in 2005, a biography, and Laura had me on her radio show. Uh-huh. And it was one of those things, I've had it happen a few times in my life, where you're with someone and there's just a crackle in the air and yeah. the chemistry. It's chemistry. Yeah. Yes. I mean, um, my friend Jerry Lewis, who was a friend, uh, used to say the first time he met Dean Martin, it was like it was at the end. Uh-huh. It was the same. Uh-huh. They just, there was something there that mm-hmm. they just fit. Um, 
and you bring something out of that person and they bring something out of you that other pairings don't capture. Yeah. Um, no, I th- it's very interesting that whole, sorry, I'm just yeah, yeah, interrupting no, no. Your, the story, but uh, the, the, the notion of creative partnerships like that and the pairs is really right. interesting. And, and, you know, I was reading something about Lennon and McCartney and, mm-hmm. and, the, and that whole, you know, the importance of that and how even when they really did do it on their own, they would never allow that to be you know, presented Corrupted. as a single. So, so right. it's always the two of them because they knew that, that really it was the it two was of them, the even if yeah, in was, the end one of them right. did it. Yeah. And, 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 and it comes from mutual respect, yeah. friendship, and ultimately, you're, look, you're, you know this, you do this every day. You're, it's a tightrope walk at times. Mm-hmm. You don't know where you're going. Mm-hmm. So you're trusting this other person will catch you if you fall and pick up the cue. And um, it usually happens. So, so with Laura, did you? So that so I was on the radio show. After you that, on the, all you, the time? Oh, I see. Right. She she would invite me back. The, the, my ten minute interview with her about the book went mm-hmm. on for forty five minutes. Right. We started talking about all kinds of things. Yeah. Then she invited me back on the show, and then yes. I became a regular on her radio show. Right. And uh, in two thousand. Uh, seven, maybe years all f- smashed together in my head. I can never right. remember years. I'm so bad. I told you I stopped the theater in the 2000s. It wasn't. I stopped in 1994 or uh-huh. three. It had to be in that area, which almost a decade earlier, right. because I was married in 94 and I was already out of the theater. Right. Okay. Anyway, um, I think it was 2007. Roger Ailes asked Laura and I to do a show. And we did it at five uh-huh. o'clock as a fill-in show right. on Fox. Right. I don't think I've ever told this story before. Um, and uh, it was called Just In. Uh-huh. And it was, uh, we we had a great time. We did it for three weeks. They asked us to do the show. Laura had just adopted her first daughter. Yeah. And I was worried that we wouldn't have the time for a daily show at five o'clock. She was still doing the radio show every day. And we told them no. We turned them down. Interesting. And then more than 10 years later. Yeah. It circled back around, and um, they asked her to do the, the the show, and she asked me if I would come along for the ride, and and I did. So you're now there. I mean, we see you on screen. Yes, uh, twice a week, isn't it? Twice a week. Sometimes more. Like this week, it'll be more because I'm out reporting. And you know, but you're but you're field. very much partners in putting it together, aren't you? That's yes, it, I'm, yeah. I'm. 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 Um, I can't even remember what the title is, but <laughs> it's something. I don't know. Man, uh, edit, uh, editorial something, but. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I help the executive producer and Laura shape the show, but we generate a lot of the core ideas and the framing of the segments. The hardest thing in this is not the topic. Topics are easy. Yeah. How do you frame it? And you have a three minute window to frame it in or a four minute window. Yes. The audience can only absorb one or two ideas in that little window and you can only explore that much time. So what, how do you, how do you lick this? Yes. And what do you open with and how do you hold their attention? And because of my, theatrical training and and my writing yeah i'm very attentive i don't believe the audience has an obligation to listen to me or laura or anybody yes we have to buy that right and earn that right and and arrest their attention and for that you have to build in you have to keep them wanting more you have to build suspense you have to give them surprises you have to turn turn ideas on them at times so that they are engaged, and that's a challenge. No, no, absolutely. That's the hardest that's the part. Craft of it, and but in terms of the, going back to actually to where we started with the with the the because I think of Laura very much as one of the original 
um, advocates yeah. of the of of the the, the popular and oh. you know, leaders of the populist movement that we now see and has been for years. Yes. you know we'll put uh, sort of slightly different interpretations. Yes. Of it, but she's yeah. right right there as one of the pioneers. I think. Yeah. How do you and the thing she's been writing for many years, not just yes. recently. Yeah. And saying recently, um, did you connect with that in, as well, or was it more more the personal connection? Well, it was personal, but Laura's. You're right. You're quite right. Laura was way ahead of the curve mm -hmm. on this populism thing. And look, it got her in some trouble <laughs> as it got my my bosses. Robert Novak got in a lot of trouble, too, with all of his conservative friends right. when he started sounding alarms about the Iraqi invasion mm -hmm. and uh, parting company with George Bush on what the outcome would be. I will tell you full disclosure from mm -hmm. the very beginning, because I knew it would disrupt what is the cradle of Christianity? Ur, mm -hmm. Iraq, the, the 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 Chaldean population there. That is the, the last ancient living community of Christianity in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. We have disrupted it and destroyed it utterly. Mm. And I and I had people on the ground telling me this is bad. Saddam's a bad guy, but he he allows religious freedom. He allows us to go on. He's going to leave eventually. We'll wait him out. We don't need this. Yeah. So that kind of informed my thinking, but they all part. That was in, that was a seismic moment, I think, among conservatives. It split the movement in many ways. The Novak, no, Bob Novak, and, yeah, and Laura, Pat Buchanan, right? They all went right, off the reservation right. from George W. Bush at that point, yeah. And that was a hard walk for Laura because she had supported the president and supported the invasion, yeah. But as things played out. She was more concerned, and, and the China her work, her concern about China, mm -hmm. her concern about the American worker getting ripped off, mm -hmm. trade bad trade deals, immigration. Those mm -hmm. things were always front and center with her. Mm -hmm. And um, look, I like fighters. I've been I, I I come from strong women who are fighters, so I'm not intimidated by strong women. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. Stella Adler was a killer. Um, and when I look back, all the all the mentors, a lot of the mentors in my life, uh, yeah. my agent, my um, of course my wife. Mother Angelica, who was a fighter, uh, Stella Adler, they were all these kind of very strong, and Laura, very strong yeah. women. And they were willing to go out and die for what they believed. Um, and I, I'm, I, 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 I revere that. I think that's something right. to be revered. And, um, and so the, the interesting thing about our partnership, Laura and mine, is it's not, she has a very strong point of view on these issues. I share some of that. But it's the other part of her that you don't get to see yeah. that comes out in our segment and when we're together. And it's her lighter side, her That's funnier right, exactly. side. And I always thought, like anything, I don't like when a performer comes out, I don't care who you are. I don't care if it's a politician or an actor or a dancer or a singer. If you hit the same chord for an hour, that's a boring concert. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. You need to mix it up. Yeah. Change the rhythm. Give me a higher note. Give me a lower note. Yeah. Give me something else. You need that. Um, and we had the idea that was not warmly embraced initially, uh, <laughs> that we were going to put a lighter cultural segment in the middle of the show. And um, everybody wanted to put it at the end of the show. And we kept saying, no, 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 no. Put it in the middle of the show. It'll be a palate cleanser. Because it's not so light and frivolous that it's silly but there's no, but, but as you said earlier you know a lot of that stuff is very very important to the things that end up being part of the political conversation That's exactly they're, they're not correct. just sort of total fun it fits in the mindset that i've always had and yeah. i think laura shares that 
Culture feeds politics because it's the things we do. Jefferson talked about the manner and spirit of the people, Mm -hmm. the manner and spirit of the people. That's far more important than the policy at the end of the day, though the policy will have severe ramifications as anyone who would have liked to take the tour of L.A. with me yesterday. I did a whole tour of Venice and Malibu and the homeless invasion of residential areas, the beachfront. There are policies that are now encroaching on the very people who advocated and voted for these policies. But now the the consequences are on your lawn and on your doorstep, quite literally. Yes. And we don't like those policies. Yes. Well, now it's a little late to figure that out. The best example being Cher with her sort of famous tweets about the disaster that her own people have made. Well, her people in in the sense of the Democrats. But one just last thing I just want to close on, because you've mentioned it. We're starting. We're just starting. I know. We were talking (laughs) earlier about um, the Joe Rogan podcast, Mm. which I did once. And and, and I was I thought it was going to be a 10 minute interview. He didn't make this smoke powder or anything. Not that. Not that. I did. He did offer me something at the beginning. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. Yes, he's very big into um, uh, medicinals. We'll call them medicinal. I thought it was good. I just arrived from the UK and I wasn't used to any of this. And I was. um, Uh, expecting it to be a 10-minute interview like on some radio program. Uh, three hours later, I'm still there talking. Oh, my God. We're not going to be here three hours okay. later. We got to, it really needs to be uh, the last re- re- real um, uh, area I want to dive into, okay. but it's something that you've, you've, you've touched on, referred to a couple of times. I'm just curious about mm-hmm. how, you, how you'd sort of fit it into everything, which is faith. Yes. Um, that's just come up a, a few times yeah. in what you said. Mm-hmm. Just talk about that a little bit in terms of how that's informed your life and what you're doing now. Well, I, I think... I believe that there are only a few things that truly motivate people, and it's what you believe um, principally and the people around you, the people you're willing to give your life for, the people that that you're entrusted with Mm -hmm. during this little time we have. Um, It seems to me, and look, and I'll be honest with you, there was a period, certainly in I think anybody's life, where you kind of drift away and you look at it askance. Mm -hmm. I was raised, you know, Mm -hmm. I was raised in in a faith, I was raised Catholic. Mm -hmm. So this was not something foreign. But you take it for granted. That's something your parents gave you rather than something you fully embrace. Mm-hmm. So there is that moment of questioning, I think, and that's healthy and good. Um, when you look at history, when you look at great art, the art I love, the music I love, much of it, much of it, much of it comes from um, deeply held belief, mm-hmm. mostly religious belief. Mm-hmm. Um or a sense of something larger than yourself, whether it be patriotism or, or deep love. Um, so I, I realized not only for my own well-being, which is pretty important. I mean, we were all, as Mother Angelica, who was another great mentor, used to say, a nun, a mm-hmm. very disabled nun, goes down to Alabama, builds the largest religious network in the world. She's got, you know, mil- wow. hundreds of millions of viewers. Um she used to say, at the end of the day, we all drag our own carcasses to market. <laughs> and that's correct. That's it. We drag our own carcasses to market at the end of the day. We have to be, we're accountable for all this stuff we do here. Yeah. So that's important. And um, that wellspring of faith, and the more I read, the more I think of the founding fathers of this country, they did say this constitution was meant for a moral people. And I often reflect on what that means today. When you do have religious faith ebbing, a unity of even a, even a core basic American principles are up for grabs. What does that mean? And does this constitution mm-hmm. still, is it still operable with these people? 
So the faith, the faith, faith is still very important. It's always the last thing to die and the first obituary written. Right. Everybody always says, oh, faith, it's over. It's over. And then, of course, you know, one little flower crops up and then the forest is there. And as you know, I was just talking to a friend here in Los Angeles the other week and they were telling me about a new church that's mm. growing up in LA, young mm. millennials uh-huh. getting into faith in their own way. It's very, you know, they're searching, the they're searching. And it's just but Christianity, you know, not some, you know, absolutely yeah, yeah. part of the, sure. of the, of the, of the, of the mainstream, mm-hmm. but, but done in a particularly way, particular way yeah. that suits them, the mm-hmm. kinds of meetings and gatherings and mm-hmm. so on. That the home churches, them, it's look really home churches. And I mean, it, America, Americans are by and large a faithful people. I mean, it's certainly got the largest per capita and percentage yeah. of people of faith of anywhere in the world. I mean, we are, we are a faithful people. Um, and I think that's a good thing and something that should be um, appreciated and nurtured. It's good for the republic and the community to have, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even if you don't believe it. It's good that someone does. Yeah, because I think that's the, right. Because, uh, as my friend uh, Richard Newhouse, Richard John Newhouse, a great intellectual, uh, political, you know, visionary, and a man of faith, a, a priest, he used to say, um, politics is a functionary of culture, mm-hmm. and culture is an outspring of morality, and mm-hmm. morality mm-hmm. finds its impetus in faith, religious faith. You need that to sustain the other. Or it will t- crumble. Um, so for all of that, I mean, there you are. Well, I think personal. That's it's important. I Beyond agree, me. and I I think we're going to leave it there. You've been a very faithful guest, I, try. I really, I really try. appreciate all those thoughts. Lots to think about. What an interesting life. Thank you. And just getting started. Just getting started, Steve Hilton. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being with us. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.